Bed of Courage is about you and me. It's about ordinary people aspiring to live their best, most authentic life by overcoming vulnerability and fear. It's about finding our courage and sharing our stories and discovering in the process that we're a lot more similar than we are dissimilar. Bite of Courage is about hope, about connecting with others, about choosing love over fear and having the courage to be who we're truly meant to be. Bite of Courage is about us. everyone. My guest today on Bite of Courage is Kirsten Alberts. Kirsten is a stand-up comedian who can be seen at comedy clubs across the country. She's appeared on Comedy Central Radio, Laughs on Fox, was a two-time semi-finalist in the stand-up NBC Comedy Showcase and a semi-finalist in the Comedy Central Up Next competition. She's also a writer, podcast producer, and social media professional. And you can see her perform at comedy clubs across the country. Welcome, Kirsten. Thank you. Thanks for coming Thanks today. For You're welcome. And make sure to send me some uh, links to your shows and stuff. We'll put that up on the uh, site, by the Courage site, after we're done. Okay. And um, we're talking about Courage Day. We're going to get right into it. Can you tell me what your definition of courage is? My definition of courage is feeling afraid and then playing out what the worst possible outcome is mm-hmm. and realizing that it's not as bad as you're making it. That's great. Turning that fear into a positive feeling like you're excited. Can you give me an example? When I get nervous before I perform. Or before you come on to a podcast? (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, everyone's going to hate me. I'm not funny. Really? Do you think that sometimes? Yeah. Like before you're going out to perform and stuff? Yeah. And then... Which is kind of surprising to me because I look at you and you're, you know, six feet tall with legs up to your neck which is sort of annoying and you're beautiful <laughs> and, and funny and smart and I would never guess that you would feel that way so that, yeah that takes a lot of courage I guess to admit too well yeah so when that happens that's when I say it's stupid to think that and I should just have fun and even if it doesn't go as well as I want it to if I'm having a good time then that's all I can ask for. Yeah, yeah, that's great. One of the things I want to have all my guests, I want them to fill in the blank for me on something so I could get some specifics, and hopefully this will be a way to help our listeners to, when they find this podcast or they wake up in the morning and they're having a rough day and they need to just get a little dose, a little extra oomph of courage, and they're struggling for whatever reason, that they might be able to tune into this and find little snippets or stories, vignettes, what have you, that will help somebody to just get through the day. So one of the things I want to do is ask all my guests to fill in the blank, which is I needed or need to find courage to get through what? 
my first guest a few weeks back was Jim Gaffigan. And one of the things he said that he needed, one of the reasons he needed to find courage was to get through stage fright. That was, he said he suffered from stage fright for like 10 years. As a stand-up comic, I'm sure, as a performer, I'm sure that you have experienced that. But can you fill in the blank for me? I need needed to find courage in my life at some point to get through what? To be who you are as a person. I would say I needed to find courage to get through something that I struggled with a lot, which was an eating disorder at a certain point it was just interfering with everything that I wanted to do with my life. How old were you then? Started when I was 16 and I've been doing well for about two years now. So, so it's, you seem to gotten it under control and it's manageable. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not easy. I can, you know, I, I know several people, women specifically, although I don't think it's, you know, just something that women are affected by. But, you know, I have a lot of questions because it's something that, I mean, I have I think I can relate to on uh, some level because I've been sober for 20 years, been in a recovering alcoholic for over 20 years now. And fortunately, I, the, the compulsion to drink has been lifted and, but... I know that I can never drink again, but the difference, and this is something I've always been curious about with some of the women I know that are affected by an eating disorder, is that, you know, I while I still have moments where I think about drinking, it's so fleeting, it's just something that gets triggered, but I have been relieved of the compulsion to drink. My, my big question to you is, as a person who suffers with an eating disorder, I would feel like that is similar to being an alcoholic in the sense that you'll always have that to deal with and to try to manage in your life. But the thing that I don't understand about the eating disorder or the reason I think it's even maybe more difficult on a, a certain level is that, you know, you have to eat to live. I can forget about my addiction as an alcoholic and I can manage that really well but how do you as a woman today if you've had it under control and have been able to manage it for a couple of years how is this something that's constantly on your mind like how do you how how would you tell somebody today how do you manage through the day-to-day -day stuff because that is something I would think that's a daily thing it is easier to manage the longer that you've been managing it I have difficult days and I've worked really hard to acknowledge when I'm not doing well and I in those moments is when I'll reach out and call someone like do you have a support group like I still go to AA meetings do you have stuff like that like when you say reach out um I just have a few close people in my life that I'll call and say, this is how I feel, and... That also suffer from eating disorders, or...? No, just... Just close friends. Close friends, family. like some, some are, and actually, I think they're, most of them are recovering alcoholics, actually. Oh. But it's helpful to voice the things going on in my head, 
it's not as scary once I say it out loud. And it helps me because what I want to do is retreat and hide, hide and any responsibilities or commitments. I just want to just ignore it and pre like I've in the past just canceled plans just or canceled shows, you know, because because you start to feel depressed about it or what's the, the feeling? I start to feel anxiety and Mm. I feel, I feel out of control and I feel like everyone is going to judge me. Mm. And now at this point in my life, I'm able to, when I feel that coming on or when I'm getting like that, I'll just talk to someone and they can tell me how silly that sounds or, yeah like it's an they can help you see that it's an irrational fear yeah. yeah that nobody is is thinking about you they're thinking about themselves and um to be afraid that somebody is like thinking that you're like fat or something is just nobody's thinking that when was so you said you started when you were 16 was there a defining moment for you like how did that how do you think that got developed in you? Or again, I'm in, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that like uh, being an alcoholic, it's about that. It's not really about the alcohol or the eating addiction. It's just, that's symptomatic. There's something else going on underneath. Mm. So my first question is what was that defining moment between, you know, if it was 16 and however old you are now, like what happened where you were like up to two years ago, I I can't do this anymore. Like, was your health in jeopardy? Because obviously that's... And did it start to affect other people in your lives, like close family? Because that's, for me, what was happening. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, the alcoholic is always the last person to know that they're alcoholic. Yeah. I had kind of kept it to only really affect me and the boy, my boyfriend at the time. He was probably the one who got the worst of it. Mm. And the ones that are close to you and that you love are always <laughs> the ones that get hit the hardest. I guess. Yeah. So I tried to keep it together around everyone else, and then when I was around him, you know, he he saw the beast. Mm. And we had moved out to L.A. from Phoenix. We had been living in L.A. for a year, and I wasn't getting any movement in comedy. And I was just very depressed and I was using all of my time to, you know, eating disorders can be very ritualistic. I don't know if that's mm. how alcohol No, works. I don't need a ritual. For no. I just drink. If it's sunny out, so, that's a good day to drink. If yeah. It's raining, good day. Yeah. So it would take up all of my time and then when... Ritualistic I, as in like an OCD kind of thing? No, I'm just like... You wait for people to leave, and then you go and you buy food or, oh. you know, so... Yeah, and that way, drinking can be that way, too. Yeah. Hiding hiding it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or ritualistic, like, you go to the same store and buy the same thing, and then, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. So... Yeah, the patterns start to yeah, emerge. Yeah. And so when I wasn't doing that, I was just exhausted, and my body was just 
it felt like it was failing me. You know, I was, I just didn't have energy mm. and, um, I didn't feel happy. I didn't feel good about myself. So I slowly started to change by going to see um, a therapist and a psychiatrist. And that was the beginning of... Did somebody call you out on it, though? Or did you just come to that place with no. your boyfriend? Or, like, I, you just I was physically... against um, antidepressants because I'm, I'm a, you know, stupid hippie. And I think, like, herbs can, like, solve all your problems. <laughs> <laughs> and it got to this point where I was like, look, I'm... I'm really in a not good place and I need to try something new. So I'm just going to see what, what antidepressants do for me. And if it helps me, then that's what I need. And that's when I started to do that. And that's when I slowly started to make small changes to better myself. Yeah. Wow. I give you a lot of credit for kind of coming to that realization I mean I don't know that you know I know what you mean about the ritualistic stuff because I did that too with alcohol um, I planned my whole day my every day of my life around where and when and how I was going to drink and hiding it you know you get used to going to the same places and stuff but at some point you know at least with the alcohol it starts to affect other people's lives mm -hmm. and of course you put my life at risk and the lives of others you know but the thing is with an eating disorders I mean it sounds like you were suffering with the, the physical stuff and obviously the emotional stuff but you were able to sort of get to a point that what I would call a defining moment where you're like I am not functioning I'm not able to live and I'm isolating a lot and I need help and so you were able to, to reach out and then as far as uh I mean, I'm fascinated by the fact that, you know, one, that, you know, this is a huge problem for so many people. And, you know, I've heard it's about power and control. So the part of it that I'm so fascinated by is that you are a stand-up comic. And I have suffered with stage fright my whole life. That's why I'm glad to be behind a microphone. <laughs> so that is something that really, um, I amazed my kids today when they get up and, you know, they both play the piano when they get up to perform. And even sometimes, you know, if they, they don't get all the notes right, they keep going. And I used to, I, I couldn't do it. I mean, it was debilitating. And I still suffer from those kinds of feelings. But like you said, you know, I, I can get to the point where I can, I have access to the spiritual tools today that can get me through that stuff. So I can empathize. With all the stuff that you've now just shared, how did you get to a point where you could get through the stage fright stuff? Because again, I, and I think I asked Jim the same thing. It's like, you kept going back for more. Yeah. Like I think stand-up is just the, one of the hardest things because, you know, it's like one of my favorite definitions of courage is what Brene Brown says for people that don't know, she's a social science researcher. And she gives one of my favorite definitions um, that I've heard, which is to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. And that the most accurate measure of courage is letting ourselves be seen, you know, as, as we truly are, which means that we have to be willing to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's the hardest thing in the world to do. It's, but she says, if you can get to that place, that place of vulnerability, which is kind of, I think, like the layer 
of us, the I am, like the original part of us, you know? Mm -hmm. She says that that's the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. If I, I don't know if I'm quoting her correctly. And I would also add that it's the birthplace of intimacy and trust. But when we can trust ourselves, we can, it's proportionate to how much we could trust other people. That said, you're getting up on stage and being completely vulnerable. I mean, you might as well just go up there naked because <laughs> you are, you have to be who you are. And I know, I know you well enough to know that you're hilarious, but to get up and do that in front of crowds and you're performing in, in bigger venues now and on television and doing podcasts and all that kind of stuff. So how do you get through the stage fright? Well, yeah, I mean, up until I started my recovery, it, it kind of fed into that. So I would deal with stage fright with my eating disorder, mm. you know? So it was a vicious cycle. So you were still really active in the... Yeah. But now I learn how to have fun on stage. So even when I'm making myself vulnerable and it's maybe not funny to the audience. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. That's all that matters. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. So, I mean, it's not perfect. I mean, there are, there are nights when I have awful shows and I go home and I'm like, what the fuck <laughs> am I doing? But then I'll, I'll listen to the recording and go, God, these are one of those nights that like really famous comics talk about how bad they did one night. Oh, that's a great you know? way to look at it. And so, yeah, I don't know. You, and so you still, you just try to put it in perspective and you say like everyone has these. And if this is what you really want, it's just a workout, you know, this, that's a this great way to work. It's a workout. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's gotten easier. Do you notice a parallel between when you were able to get the, the eating disorder stuff, when we're able to manage that and get that under control with the the progress that you've made just in your your professional career? Yeah. When I started taking care of myself, I was, my mind was clear mm. and I was... Like the fog lifted. Yeah. And I was able to really focus on what I wanted and my creativity was not that part of my brain was able to be more free instead of just thinking about one thing all the time. Obsessing about the negative. Yeah. Or the food and stuff. Yeah. And so when I stopped thinking about myself and food and my weight and what I looked like all the time, and I started thinking about what I want out of comedy and what my weaknesses are and how I can make them better and not judging myself if I'm having a difficult time trying to make something funny. Mm -hmm. So I, I told myself whatever I need to do to make myself better, it's worth it even if it takes time away from comedy because when I come back, mm -hmm. I'll be able to put my full self in and I'll be healthy and, um, it'll be better. Yeah, and it, it almost kind of goes along with what I was saying earlier, what Brene Brown had said about, you know, courage being the birthplace of innovation, creative, you know, creativity and, and change. And I think when we, when we 
can make ourselves vulnerable when we step away and outside we kind of zoom out and get that aerial view when we can be the observer. At least for me, I can only speak for myself, but I feel rejuvenated and restored. And then you come back to it and, you know, something magical can happen. Is there, for anybody who's looking for courage today or who feels less than hopeful today or down, you know, and they're just needing a shot in the arm of some courage and they suffer from an eating disorder or from stage fright or anything really. Again, we all have struggles and are recovering from something, but what would be, is there any advice you would give somebody who's struggling specifically with an eating disorder, one, and two, just in general, like how to find the the strength to go on today? I would say if you're struggling with an eating disorder to look into some some groups some eating disorder support groups so like AA there are specifically yeah like oh overeaters anonymous there's that right? yeah and there's eating disorders anonymous I would also say seek help via therapy and psychiatry um, and if you don't want to do any of those things I would say try to take care of yourself. Think about what your body needs and try to take those negative thoughts that you're thinking about yourself and take it outside of your mind and realize that it's so twisted and there's no reason to be thinking these horrible things about yourself. So let me stop you there for a second because when I hear that, I think that sounds great, but I know that people could tell me to stop drinking and I promised myself every Monday I would stop drinking and then the remorse would wear off and people would say like just turn the negative into the positive but it wasn't they there weren't concrete at least for me I didn't have the concrete skills or the spiritual tools is what I needed ultimately so is there something that you go through on a daily basis? Because like I said, I think this is so tough in the sense that with somebody with an eating disorder has to deal with this every day because we need to eat to live, right? Yeah. So is there? So what do you do when those things get triggered? Because we have triggers all day long, you know, We've, our emotions change constantly. So is there something specific that you do that might be helpful for somebody else? They can call somebody. Yeah. They can reach out to a friend. They can seek counseling, go to Overeaters Anonymous. As far as changing those thoughts, how do you do that? Well, something that really helps me is making a plan. If I feel like I'm going to stay in bed all day. Mm-hmm and I know I have things I need to get done, I'll I'll call up a person who's close to me and talk about the things I need to get done and write it down and just try to do something that's attainable so that... Small I, goal. A small goal. And mm. one of the... This is going to sound really silly, but the hardest thing for me is taking a shower. And once I do, I feel like I can keep moving. And it's hard to get myself to do it sometimes. I don't think that really sounds well. silly. I think that's great advice. Like getting up and making your bed every day. Yeah. You know? So it's like those small little things like making your bed and taking a shower. And then it's like, okay, I've done these small little things. I can keep going. Yeah. 
That's yeah. actually how, that's great advice. And it reminds me of the advice, that's the, kind of the advice I was given too when I got sober. It's like getting, getting up, for me it was getting up, rolling out of bed, onto the floor and saying my prayers. Yeah. And then getting up and making my bed and taking a shower and having something to eat. Like yeah. the routine of good habits. Yeah, I think routine is really important yeah. for people with addictions because you're so used to using up all your time on your addiction. Mm -hmm. And so if you have things in place to kind of safeguard you yeah. throughout the day so that you don't go back into those yeah. habits. And I and think too, it sounds like, and I'm sure it sounds like you have this with a, your inner circle and maybe with your, your boyfriend at the time, but having other people hold you accountable, it sounds like they did that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be held accountable, you can be held accountable, but you know, and if you want to get better, you, have but to I did at, uh, until a certain point, I didn't want to be held accountable. So I didn't, I kept my life as private as I could in that aspect until know? it got too big for to hide. It wasn't even too big to hide. It was just, I was just so sad. I was just very sad. Did you feel suicidal? Yes. Did you ever attempt it? No. But just su suicidal thoughts? Yeah. I think that's when I started to think like that was when I was like, I need to go talk to somebody. And so Did you... Did you ever Oh, you mean with the with alcohol? That? With the alcohol? Like suicidal thoughts and yeah. stuff? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did think about that. And I suppose if, I, if I'm talking about truthiness <laughs> yeah no i thought about that in fact i did attempt suicide a few times wow um and it wasn't enough and but fortunately i have a i had a really good inner circle and it it wasn't enough to even get me to stop drinking that's how obsessed i was with alcohol and i even moved from california back to my hometown of chicago so i could hide it better yeah and attempt it again so fortunately you know i came out of that but it wasn't one of those things for me it wasn't one of the the first time i attempted suicide it wasn't like oh my god what was i thinking yeah it was like why didn't this work yeah like i was pissed yeah but not so pissed that i stopped drinking i was just i just drank more yeah and i was more miserable and so i moved because people were on to me mm -hmm. <laughs> and I wanted to keep drinking yeah. and it became a matter of life and death. So yeah. Thanks for asking about that. Well, uh, I'm glad you're here. Oh, thanks. I am too. I, yeah, it's uh, and you know, that's one of the reasons I want to do this podcast is because I still struggle to find the courage to get through the day. And, you know, I don't ever go back to thoughts of suicide. My thoughts today about escape, so to speak, are like, I need a vacation. Yeah. But I still struggle. I still I'm trying to find more meaning in my life I'm at that age. You know, my kids are getting older and stuff. And so I'm trying to create that meaning. And the only way I know how to do that, which has been through in recovery the last 20 years, is to talk to people because that's sort of what gives me a sense of having meaning if I can make a difference in somebody else's life. But I've got to find out what other people are doing. 
to get through the day because I still, my tendency is still to isolate. Yeah. And what I do as far as writing and the podcast and everything, it's sort of, I'm in solitary confinement a lot. I I think we've hit the highlights and I, you know, that are going to be really helpful to somebody out there who needs some help today with this. Um, And I I would helpful in some way. I mean, I, you know, I'm still pretty new to the recovery game. Yeah. Um, I mean, and the fact that you are new to it and you're out here talking about it, I just, I just said to somebody the uh, last week, I wish that mental health was called brain health because just like I tell my kids, it's like, you have a toothache, you go to the dentist. You have uh, you, you break an arm, you go to the medical doctor. You have something that you're struggling with emotionally, you go to the therapist. And it's a brain check. And and that's why it's, I appreciate you asking me about it because I'm trying to talk more openly about that stuff because it does feel good to find out that, you know what, I'm not alone. Yeah. You know, and that's awesome. So I'm glad that you're here too. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, thank you. In the last few minutes, I would love to just do some fun questions, rapid fire. Okay. So, are you ready? Do it. (laughs) Okay. Would you rather discover something great and share it, or discover something evil and prevent it? Oh, man, I love the hero thing, but I guess great and share it. Oh, you're so positive. I can't wait for the guest on here. It's like, oh no, I'd love to. I'd love to find something evil. No, I mean the the comic in me who loves attention yeah. is like, ah, I would love to save the day. You know, because everyone would be like, you're amazing. But um, save the day. That's the title track of my that's podcast. Him, yeah, yeah, that's funny. Okay, next one. <laughs> if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Um. It would be to stop childhood hunger by creating food with my... It's got to be about food, Out of, out of thin air, yes. I like that. What, right. would, what would your superpower if I be? I could have a superpower. I would say learning, understanding, especially technology stuff. That's if I could a have superpower. A, yeah, learning. Learning's not a superpower. It would be my superpower. Forgiving, if I could forgive faster, better, <laughs> bigger. Okay, you, but you're talking about human qualities. We're talking about superhero qualities. Well, I think forgiveness is definitely a superhero quality. Oh, you're going to make me vomit. <laughs> okay, would you accept the gift of reading people's mind if you could never turn it off? Um, no, I wouldn't like that. I have too much yeah, anxiety. And me too. Yeah. yeah, I don't need to know what other people are thinking. Uh, you know what? There's a reason why we have filters. And there's a reason why I shouldn't think for you. Yeah. That's how I get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, Same here. Okay. If you could master one skill that you don't have right now, what would it be? Um, Skateboarding. If you're in a bad mood, do you prefer to be left alone or have someone cheer you up? Ooh. Ooh. The sick part of me wants to be alone. Mm Mm-hmm. But I always feel better when somebody is with me to cheer me up. Oh, that's good to know. If you could make a movie or a television sitcom about you, what would it be about, about yourself? Here's your chance for those producers out there, those agents out there. All right. For all of those opportunities just waiting for me, my sitcom would be 
me laying in bed trying to get up and do simple tasks throughout the day. Kind of like a little bit like Seinfeld. I mean, that was a show about nothing. Yeah, and that's what my life is about, nothing. (laughs) Okay, we're going to work on that. And we put it out into the universe. First episode is Kirsten tries to take a shower. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, good. That's going to happen. Would you rather lose all of your old memories or never be able to make new ones? Oh. Oh, yeah. That's a tough one. Did you come up with these questions yourself? Yeah. Or did you do like Google like stupid no, I'm questions sure they're... to ask people? <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah, I just typed uh, in. Yeah. I would, uh, well, if I forgot all of my past memories, then I wouldn't know exactly. how to do any. I guess I... I guess I would forget all of my past memories because I could start a whole new life. I feel like that too, and sometimes I. Because if I, if I, well, if I didn't, and sometimes when you're in a relationship, it's like I wish sometimes I did have amnesia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's see. If you had no fear, and money was not an issue, what would you do, or where would you go? I would go to Australia hmm. and Europe. And every country in the world. And I would see everything that there was to see. And I would buy um, a pet monkey. Wow. I think an orangutan because they're really fun. I'd probably get two so that they could be friends with each other yeah. and not stay lonely. Yeah, keep each other company. One time I saw orangutans at the zoo and I cried because I just thought they were so beautiful. Oh, you're an animal lover, huh? Yeah. I love that. Um, Do you text with your thumbs (laughs) or your fingers? Uh, My fingers. I'm a finger gal. Wow. Wow. (laughs) All right. How many rings before you pick up the phone? Um, If I don't want to talk to you, but I know I need to, five. Wow. I wait until, like, the it's very gonna, last ring. Yeah. <laughs> and then you pretend, like, oh, I was hi, just in I did. the middle of something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just got out of the shower. Let's see. If you didn't do stand up, what would you want to do? Um, I, I always wanted to be an astronomer. Really? Yeah, because space interests me so much, and I tried to take some classes, and it's so complex. So you're, you like science, obviously. I do like science, but my brain is too small to understand a lot of it but it really like there has to be something else out there Mm -hmm. and i just want to learn more about space and like why we're here and yeah who's your celebrity crush do you have a daniel radcliffe and bradley cooper oh but Daniel Radcliffe, like he's he's very cute. I'm not like obsessed with him anymore. But I Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper's very yeah. Know, saucy. I mean, he's he's so, he's gorgeous, saucy, he's, he's kind, meatball saucy. beautiful. But I'd go with I'd go with a Anderson Cooper. He's my oh my oh no yeah. Let me change my answer to that. <laughs> uh, no, he's super hot. If you had to choose to live without one of your five senses, which one would it be? Um. That's a tough one. I guess. But we don't have all day. <laughs> sure. All right. Smell. Me too. Yeah. I, 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 Just because I feel like that's the least, like, you can live, live without, without it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, favorite quality in a friend? 
Um, backstabbing. That's your favorite? Yeah. You like when people backstab you? Yeah, I just think it's really sweet. Okay. <laughs> um, favorite quality in yourself? Backstabbing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to get back to that because clearly you don't want to answer it. So I'm keeping that in the pile. Most influential person in your life today? My aunt. Oh. And my mom. That's nice. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what scares you? Dinosaurs. Um, okay. And is there anything like realistically? <laughs> well, um, yeah. Well, if dinosaurs were alive, they would scare me. But since they're not, the other thing that scares me is um, everything. Mm. <laughs> it can. What inspires you? Other people who overcome things that are very difficult for them, but not for me. And it helps me put things in perspective. Kind of like this interview today. I mean, you know, sharing what you did today, just about your eating disorder and stuff and the stage fright just helps to, that helps me. Yeah. Just knowing you're not alone. Alone. Yeah. Jinx. Um, I can't talk. What are some specific things do you think that, that keep people stuck? Because, you know, being stuck can really be discouraging and depressing. And then it's a downward spiral from there. So, yeah, what are some of the specific things do you think that keep them that way stuck? I would say excuses mm. and thinking of bad outcomes. Um, what could happen if you decided to do something that would help you reach your dream. Mm. I think the most important thing in anyone's life is to find out what you're passionate about and pursue it until you die. I agree wholeheartedly, yeah. I tell the kids that all the time. The more you do, the more you figure out what you don't want to do. Figure out what you love getting up for every morning and do that. It's true, The do what you love and the rest will follow. Right. Uh, last few questions. Uh, what's your favorite word? Jizz. Oh, my God. Okay, least Sorry, favorite. Sorry, let me change it. Least favorite word. Taint is my favorite word. Okay. Um, <laughs> my least favorite word. Mm. Um, I'm afraid to ask. Thank you. Least favorite word. Okay. Favorite <laughs> sound. Favorite sound. Typing on a keyboard. Favorite smell. Lavender. Oh, that's mine. What feel, uh, worst feeling in the world? Letting someone down. If you could be someone of the opposite sex for a day, what would be the first thing you would do? I, okay, and this is totally what everyone's going to say, but I would jerk off. <laughs> because <laughs> that's not what I would say. I was going to say scratch my balls, but close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anyway. Thanks again, Kirsten, for being here today. You are really brave, and I know it's going to help a lot of people. In fact, if there's anybody listening out there who needs help or wants to talk, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can always email me at humormewithmo at gmail.com or start a dialogue at the biteofcourage.com website. Any of the comment sections there or the comment sections on my articles on humormewithmo.com. So I'm always available and look forward to talking with you if you need to. And Kirsten, if you wouldn't mind, just tell the listeners one more time where they can find you, and we'll put all that info up on biteofcourage.com as well. 
Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dirty Hippie Comic. And <laughs> <laughs> of course, you're at Dirty Hippie Comic. Um, <laughs> and I'm awesome. on Facebook, just under my name. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not under Dirty Hippie Comic? No. Okay. All right. And that is a wrap. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Bye. Thanks everyone for tuning into my podcast, Bite of Courage. To learn more about my guests, you can go to biteofcourage.com or go to my website, humormewithmo.com, where I also post weekly articles about finding humor in life's absurdities. Until next time, be bold, be daring, be brave, and take a bite of courage. This is a trio production, all rights reserved.